everyone. Welcome again to Run Out Radio. I'm Jerry Forsyth, alongside Mike Howerton. And please remember, we are brought to you by Lucasi Hybrid Qs, the Q used by Torsten Homan today and Sean Wilkie, among others. I've thought they've been around for a while. I remember Buddy Hall used a uh, Lucasi Q, so did David Howard. So that's a proven Q. Take a look at it when you're choosing your next Q. We're also brought to you by the Tap League. If you want to have some fun and play against really skilled players in your area, check out the Tap League. If you need more information on Tap League or would like to start a Tap League franchise of your own, uh, drop me a line, jerry at azbilliards.com. I'll put you in touch with the good people at Tap. And no matter where you play, make sure you're playing on our final sponsor's cloth, Simonis. Simonis has given more to pool than just about any company you can think of. They certainly deserve your business. They support AZ Billiards and this show. So, Mike, how are things going out there in Arizona? Nice and comfortable. I guess uh, you guys are still experiencing horrible weather, but, yeah, we get the nice, uh, nice warmth out here. Seems like I've had a very cold winter no matter where I've been. As you know, I just got back from France where I was able to uh, watch the Aguipi Masters three-cushion championship, and uh, that was right outside of Strasbourg, France, and boy, it was cold over there, but the play was so hot. Mike, That I hadn't been to a three-cushion championship in about 10 years, and 10 years ago, Oh, if somebody ran a three or a four, they got a standing ovation. Well, these guys had to run a 10 to get the audience's attention. Wow. And the game has really progressed. Uh, It's just night and day from what it was a decade ago. And the talent was simply unbelievable what these guys can do with a cue ball. And... um, it's a great competition. Agipi, which is A-G-I-P-I, is an insurance company in Europe. And the fellow who is the founder and chief executive officer of Agipi used to be the French national three-cushion champion. Well, that comes in handy. Yeah. So when he got so successful in the insurance business, he built his insurance headquarters in Strasbourg. And the second floor is a three-cushion billiard studio television studio uh it's got theaters uh seating all around very very plush theater seating i mean you can go to sleep in these things uh there are two uh three cushion tables in the room there are overhead cameras pre-mounted in the ceiling along with television lights this is all built into this room in this insurance company there's a television production facility in the corner of the room so the whole thing is set up uh, for doing really classy three-cushion television production. I was over there with the good folks from Kazoom. Oh, it was fantastic. The fellow named Frederick Cadrone won it. He ran a, um, a 15 and a 16 while I was in the room uh, and thought nothing of it and then shoots. Um, I mean, he's not waste- these guys aren't wasting any time. They're on a 40-second shot clock and making uh, five and seven rail um, caroms. Well, now, I remember that event from last year, and I was a little bit confused about the the format. Now, they have qualifiers for that at, uh, at the well, same place, well, but at multiple times? Yes. Yeah, what they do is they bring in 
um, eight players at a time, and uh, uh, two of them will progress to the four-man finals. So they had a uh, they had a um, qualifier uh, back in the fall, and then they had the one that I was just at, and then the finals will be coming up next month, and um, at the same location. And oh, I, I forgot to tell you, at this location, they're up for the for the three cushion fans. There are also two restaurants. One is a informal grill, and one is a five star, very very classy, um, very fancy food uh, restaurant. It's pretty. It's really an amazing place. So they have two qualifiers in the main event. So this floor is used three times a year. It's used three times a year for the Agipi Masters. Now, if other people want to come have events there, they're more than welcome to. Oh, okay. Well, it sounds like an interesting trip. Um, I mean, Three Cushion, I I kind of see it personally like one pocket where unless it's being played by two really skilled players, it's horrible to watch. But that's just me because I don't follow Three Cushion. I'm sure that... You know, three cushion fans probably say the same thing about nine ball. Well, yeah, probably so. I've never had to watch unskilled players play it, uh, but to show you the level of this play, uh, Semi Sagner was one of the uh, uh, competitors, and he didn't make the cut. Wow. Yeah, that shows you how good these boys are. Well, I'll be looking forward to hearing now. When again are the is the actual main event? Uh, in March. Okay. Are you going back, or are we going to have to follow it online? I believe we're going to have to follow it online. Um, I was brought over as a, uh, a commentator, and I proved myself to be totally incompetent. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I, I wound up writing news reports and um, uh, doing some photography and doing the video magazine, uh, but I, I certainly didn't earn my pay, so I don't expect to be invited back. <laughs> Well, um, after the three-cushion event was over, uh, we had probably the biggest event that's happened since our last show. Well, definitely the biggest event since we've had our show, uh, Derby City Classic, the craziness that is Derby City. Yeah, and, of course, neither you and I can go there because we're allergic to that cold weather. Um, however, we did send the most highly revered and well-loved, Sam Dieppe. Sam, welcome to Run Out Radio. Hi, thanks for having me. Uh, Derby City Classic, it's always such a unique event. I mean, there's just nothing else like it. Uh, what was your overall impression of the uh, action this year, the the, the tournament uh, play, the uh, the events? Uh, how'd you come away from that event? Yeah, absolutely. You're you're uh, right on about that. I always tell people that the it's one of the top two most prestigious events on U.S. soil, and everyone should check it out at least once in their lifetime. Um, this year's pool and performances were, um, you know, just as as uh, high of a level as, as the previous years. It was uh, obviously, um, it was unique for Efren to be competing in the event and not win the one pocket as he has in the past. I think it's like the second or third time he's ever done that. But um, it was um, an honor for me to be able to watch him play in the finals of the nine ball and, and the bank pool and, and to do as well as he did this year. So, yeah, you know, the thing that always amazes me about 
Efren in the Derby City is he always seems to rise to the occasion. Whenever you talk about a shot of the year from Derby City, it's always something Efren pulled off. You know, a couple of years right. ago he did that he did that fantastic bank and then three rail position on a one pocket shot to win the one pocket. And this year he was pulling off two and three rail banks. What is it about that guy? <laughs> that guy. <laughs> like a magician or something. Yeah, you'd think. Do you think that that the atmosphere of Derby has anything to do with that? I mean, everybody there is a fan of Efren. It's it's almost like Earl at the U.S. Open. I mean, at the Derby, everyone knows who Efren is, and everyone is pulling for him. I mean, I wouldn't be shocked if sometimes his opponents were pulling for him, but do you think that has something to do with, with what brings out his best game there? It's possible. It's possible, but, you know... I mean, I'm sure you can vouch for this, too. Efren's not that kind of guy. Like, he doesn't really, like, feed off of the audience too much. In fact, he's he's pretty low-key. Um, you know, I grabbed him for the interview after he won the nine ball, and then they tried to get a few words with him during the, the ceremony, and he was like, no, I already gave my interview. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, I mean, he just, he, he, as soon as he's done with his matches – especially if he's playing in the TV arena, he will, before he even gets a chance to pack up his cues, he's grabbing his cues and his case and walking out of the arena as quickly as possible. He's, he's pretty, um, he's kind of on the down low. Um, but I mean, it's, it's possible, but you know, we did have a lot of, um, this year, there were a lot of new faces in the top, um, maybe like top six, top eight or so of the of the nine ball finals. And it was nice. It was refreshing to see some new faces. And they had their following with them as well, too. So so that might have been a change for Efren. But, um, but you know, it didn't slow him down any. <laughs> and he wasn't the only hero of the week. John Brumbeck set a pretty high mark for a future cueist. Oh, John Brumbeck is just my hero. I mean, first, I mean, it, it, you know, there's history to be made, or history was made this year, you know. He's the first player to have won back-to-back bank pool titles, and um, he his mechanics are just flawless. If anyone, um, you know, any of the, the Brumback finals matches, I definitely highly recommend on AccuStats if anyone's looking for AccuStats um, matches to purchase. I mean, I would recommend any of the final, you know, three matches of Brumbacks. They're Phenomenal. It was nice to see uh, Arizona favorite Scott Frost finally break through in the one pocket. Um, you were there. Was his uh, was his reaction any different than what we saw there at that in that clip that you sent us? He was incredibly emotional, and I'm, I've got goosebumps just talking about it. Just kind of recalling the the moment um, that he won. You know, it, it's a little um, it's a little anti. I shouldn't say anticlimactic, but it was it was um, maybe probably a little bittersweet. The crowd was a little confused if they should like you know cheer too loudly. But you know we have the the clip from the AccuSats match of the finals, the final shot where Silver just needed or Silver needed four balls and Scott just needed the one ball, and um, Silver actually pocketed his winning ball for him, and that's how he won the whole event. Um, and he, I mean Scott just dropped to his knees and in probably kind of disbelief and um, just overwhelmed with emotion. It was, it was uh, nice to see that side of him. And, and, you know, just, I think it was just a couple nights before that he was, um, he matched up with Efren on that same table, that TV table. Um, I, I don't know what they were, 
Garadu and um, I can't remember, but I mean, they, you know, they played all night <laughs> and uh, it was, it was nice to see, to see Scott, you know, finally get it. He, he deserved it. You know, speaking of one pocket, um, last year Scott gets into the finals and he loses to John Schmidt. And I spoke to John at, I think, the U.S. Open later last year, and, and I said, you know, John, i got to tell you, I was surprised to see you uh, to see you beat Scott in the finals of the one pocket. And he says, well, you know, a lot of people don't know that, that I really like playing one pocket and I'm pretty good at it. And then reading your your pro athlete column on or your provision column on silver he talked about how much he liked one pocket is one pocket seeing a comeback now or or is it just an illusion i think it i think that would be an accurate assessment and not so much even comeback as much as um it's kind of maybe always been there and maybe not as popular amongst the maybe mainstream players, but, um, you know, one thing that silver said in his, um, in our interview that I found interesting was he said that nowadays, a lot of people determine, uh, how well you play based on your one pocket game. So it is definitely very popular. Wow. Well, you can't take anything away from Silver. He's, he's what, 24? 24. Can you and, believe and that? Second in the one pocket. I mean, he, he's, I mean, he's been there. You know, I remember seeing him at the Junior Nationals a few years ago, and, and his game just seems to have skyrocketed from there. There's, there's other guys that have done real well in the Junior Nationals and have kind of fallen off the face of the earth, but uh, this kid doesn't look like he's, he's destined for that at all. Yeah, I completely, I mean, he's he's well on his way. I mean, he's got a second-place Banks finish, second-place uh, one-pocket finish. I look to see him playing in the finals in nine ball coming up here soon. Probably playing Efren in the finals in about ten years. You know, uh, for years when uh, the Derby City Classic <clears throat> was at the uh, other location, the earlier location, people were always saying, uh do you want to watch the final matches or should we leave and go to the horseshoe now? And uh, there were always caravans of people headed over to the horseshoe. It's got to be much more convenient now that everybody's already there. Really? I didn't realize that. Yeah. Oh. I mean, you know, the, I know, I know Buster from AccuStats, the, the, the jig operator, he, um, you could find him sleeping throughout the day because he was staying up all night playing, craps or, or blackjack or whatever with Efren and Bustamante <laughs> or poker. <laughs> but, you know, it, it's, um, I, yeah, they're, I mean, they, they're definitely taking advantage of the, of the casino being right there. Besides Efren and Bustamante, it was also nice to see the return of Alex Pagulayan. And we all know that Alex has never seen a bet he didn't like. Uh, was he in his regular Pagulayan form? Uh, for example, I watched him one year betting on who could do the longest uh, standing broad jump and, and drew a crowd of probably 50 people. <laughs> no. Um, you know, I have to say that I, um, as you define it, he was not because um, I, I know kind of what you're talking about. You know, I, I remember the final year that the Derby was held at the Executive West, 
I mean, that was the year that Shane and Alex were in action every single night in the, in the action room. And, and, uh, this year, I mean, after hours, he, uh, he'd be playing backgammon with, you know, a couple guys out in the hallway or, um, or playing poker on the boat. But, um, you know, you didn't really see him doing, doing too many things, um, pool wise. Well, the pool world sure misses having him at pool tournaments, that's for sure. Yeah, his personality is one that we need. He's the opposite of the robot player. <laughs> so, and, and you know, and he's he's entertaining and he's fun to watch, but not in an obnoxious way. I mean, there are players that get a little out of control and they're um, you know, almost you're to the point where you're like, "Just shut up and shoot already." But I mean, he's just kind of the right amount of of flair. <laughs> Yeah, I guess. But, you know, Derby City, one of the reasons it's so popular is because of all the action that goes on there. Now, we know that uh, Jeanette won the Louis Roberts Award, uh, but I assume there was uh, action again this year. Yeah, um, there were. And, and, you know, I talked to the guys at the Action Report, and, you know, there weren't any huge uh, matchups or no go-offs or anything like that, but there were a lot of um, pretty steady sets throughout um, throughout the week. I'd say if Jeanette didn't get it, um, Harry Plattis probably would have been a close second. <laughs> I haven't seen Hardway Harry in a couple of years. I'd like to see him again. Quite a interesting individual. Absolutely. I just met him for the first time this year. I mean, I'd heard a lot about him, but, um, you know, I didn't realize he's an attorney and has a real life and real job outside of pool. Yeah, he does. Uh, any closing thoughts? Um, well, you know, I, um, as, as some of our, um, listeners and viewers may know, I was out there working with, um, alongside AccuStats and bringing some highlights and video clips this year. And I hope to be able to continue that for future events. Um, so, you know, it's kind of uh, it's an, it's a new uh, kind of groundbreaking style that we're presenting videos and news, and um, I hope people have enjoyed it. And I hope that, um, like I said, we can continue continue bringing it. Well, we hope that uh, we can continue that as well because Mike and I aren't allowed to go to Derby City anymore. Every time we do, they have a blizzard. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad you didn't then. <laughs> Okay, Sam, thanks a lot. We appreciate you uh, joining us today, and we'll look forward to talking to you again in the very near future. Terrific. Thanks for having me. Well, it sounds like another exciting event out in Derby. Um, I, it was good to see Scott Frost get uh, his first one-pocket title out there. You know, I love that tournament, and, and I tell all the local fans out here that if you've never been there, you really do have to go. But, man, nine days, it's it's just tough to to get out there and spend that kind of time away from home. And, and, you know, neither one of, you know, you or I gamble, so that draw is just not there for us. Yeah, um, it's always been an endurance contest, the Derby City Classic, and I guess if you're uh, 20, 25 years old, you can stand the heat. But but that event, uh, back when it was at the Executive West, used to just wear me out. So I'm glad we found a youngster to go for us. <laughs> Jerry, I don't know how to break this to you, but anymore, they're, they're all youngsters. I, I know, I know, I know. Hey, you, I believe you've got some news for us as well. You went to the uh, WPBA Regional Tour Championship. I did. Um, 
And, boy, speaking of endurance contests, um, the RTC went with a new format this year, and it was first brought up uh, last year, back when I wore a WPBA board member hat, and I remember Melissa Herndon, basically that's it's her baby, and there were complaints the year before when the event was held at the parlor, and the complaints were not in any way about the room, it was about the format, and the players say, well, you know, if you're giving away multiple spots or multiple tour cards, and you know, we fly across the country and we end up with a bad draw. You know, you draw two monsters right off the bat and get knocked out. Well, it's not really fair. And she was trying to find some way to make sure that the absolute best representatives from the different tours made it onto the WPBA or, or earned their their tour cards. And for those not familiar with the event, um, it's... Whereas in the past, the WPBA held, uh, or the regional tours for the WPBA held qualifiers once a month or once every other month or something like that. And by winning one of those qualifiers, you won a spot into one WPBA event. Well, at the end of the year, the WPBA uh, tour season, you have to be ranked in the top 48 to be what they refer to as exempt from having to qualify again. Well, that's not real easy if you're winning a qualifier here and you're able to play in a WPBA event there. If you're only playing in one or two of the um, events that are held during the year, that makes it pretty difficult to become exempt. So the WPBA went away from the idea of a qualifier working for one tournament. You know, you win the regional tour stop that the Arizona Women's Billiards Tour is holding and that gets you into the Colorado WPBA event. Well, they went away from that. And what they do now is each regional tour sends their best players to the regional tour championship. And, for example, this year there were nine tour cards given out. So the top nine finishers in the regional tour championship won their tour cards, and they are invited to every WPBA event throughout the upcoming season. Now, of course... Oh, wow. You know, we don't we don't know how many events the WPBA is going to have. They're struggling just like everyone else is out there. But that's a, a completely sure. different story. Yeah. But what Melissa proposed was, let's do it round robin. And we were on a conference call at the time, and she says, let's do this thing round robin, <clears throat> and we'll take 64 players, and we'll put them in groups of eight, and they'll play seven matches, and after that we'll take the top half. And then we'll play 32 players, round robin. And I said, whoa, 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 Melissa, are you nuts? I said, we don't have a week to run this tournament. And she says, no, 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 we won't need a week. And I said, we won't, won't we? I said, we're going to have each player play seven matches. Yeah. I I just don't see it. I mean, I said, Melissa, look, if you want to run with this thing, that's great. But I think you're insane. I I just... (laughs) I don't. Th- I don't see any way this can be done, and I think it's going to be a logistical nightmare. Well, as is usually the case, she proved me wrong, and the event went off. I mean, there were certainly players who were on the on the cusp, and and they almost qualified. And of course, they didn't care for the format. Um, Susan Williams, for example, did not make the final eight. She lost one match. 
over three days, and that match that she lost, she lost at Hill Hill, and she did not make the final eight. Oh, man. But she was the ninth player. So what they did is they played 64 players in groups of eight, round robin, take the top four from each group, they advanced to the next stage, and that was 32 players in eight groups of four. You play everyone in your group again, and the top one player advances. So to go from stage two to stage three was a big jump because there there were some monsters in the field. Uh And it made for... Oh, and, and one other twist. The players did not advance based on their matches won and lost, which you could probably guess based on what I said about Susan Williams. It was based on games won and lost percentage. So if you win every one of your games, or if you win every one of your matches, but you win it 6-5, well, you didn't do very well because your winning percentage over games played would not be that large. Yeah, it'd be 60%, and somebody else could could have an 80 or a 90%. Right. So you could theoretically have somebody who won all seven of their matches hill-hill, and then somebody else in their group lost two matches hill-hill and won all the rest of their 6-0, and the player that lost the two matches would advance while the undefeated player would not. Yeah, of course, you know, there's, there's no such thing as a fair tournament format. It just can't be accomplished. No, but this was this was an interesting format. It led to some very unique situations. Um, at one time, there was a match going on where if player one won the match, they would advance. If player two won the match, 6-4 or better, then player two would advance. But if player two won the match 6-5, then player three, who was on the rail and was already done playing, would advance. So... Not only are the two players who are playing the match sweating it out, but there are players on the rail whose fate is determined by what happens in this match, and there's nothing they can do about it. But beyond the the format itself, um, I remember speaking to you early on, and you had looked at the list of players before I even had, and you said that Shuhan Chang from Taipei was the early favorite, and I found out after the tournament, having spoken to her through a translator, that she's been the number one ranked player in Asia for two years. So you weren't really going out on a limb with that prediction. No, I wasn't taking a big chance. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But surprisingly, we were able to to look at the percentages as the tournament was progressing. And while Chang was playing well, she wasn't... She wasn't destroying opponents like we expected she would. Uh, you know, it was a 6-3. It was uh, going into the, the final stage, I think she had the third best percentage, and the players were seeded into the final eight based on that percentage. Um, Mary Raken played real well after she got started. Um, we had her streaming the first match of the of the day on Friday, and it was on the the super tight tables there at hard times. Uh, right. The, the, the two tables. That, right, right. The 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 two tables that are closest to uh, the audience are super tight, and 
I mean, it was mentioned a couple times in the chat that uh, that's the table that John Mora and Oscar played their 10-ball match on for the action report. And between the two of them, they ran like a total of eight racks over two days. So that gives wow. you an idea how tight that table is. Yeah. Uh, Mary came out struggling in her first match, played real poor, played poor in her second match, and we were talking about it up uh, at the tournament board. We just couldn't believe that she was playing that poorly because we know that Mary Raken, I mean, let's face it, it's like Reyes. If your last name is Raken and you live in California, you hit balls like a monster. And uh, unfortunately for Susan Mello, uh, Mary found her stroke in her third match, and she never looked back. She... She beat Susan Mello pretty handily and just went on to win almost every match she played after that. Um, yeah. So going into the final eight, uh, Mary was towards the top. Amy Chen was towards the top. Um, Lisa Marr had been playing real strong. And sure enough, uh, final eight players were seeded. The number eight seed, Kim Benson, knocked off Amy Chen. So Amy had played great, had a great tournament, and and. You know, her consolation prize for finishing fifth through eighth was that she still got her tour card. Um, what what we kind of expected would happen did. Um, Shu Han's coach said that even though she had come over to the States um, two or three days before the tournament to get acclimated to the time zone and all that, she was still struggling a little bit with uh, the tables and just getting used to playing her first event in America because, boy, when that final eight started, we saw a whole different player out there. Um, I, had, I had watched her early on and thought, eh, she's a, she's a 17 through 24 WPBA player, but uh, she definitely turned her game up a notch. She won her last two matches going away. They were like 9-2, 9-3. And this yeah. was against, again, you know, Mary Raken, and, and uh, I forget who she beat in uh, third, fourth place. But, you know, Raken had played outstanding, and Chang just demolished her. Um, I know there was conjecture on the forums that that maybe some of the players didn't plan on playing all of the WPBA stops, so they weren't giving it their their A game at the end. Mary was, was giving it her A game. Um, Chang, unfortunately, was also bringing her A game, and at this moment in time, Chang's A game is stronger than any other regional tour player's A game. Well, you would have to expect it to be, and... and um look for some other names, in fact, a lot of other names to come out of Taiwan and China that are going to come over here and just tear it up. If, And this has to be said, that if the WPBA can survive the current sponsorship crisis that Poole is going through, um, it, it, uh, there are some players that are going to come over and just light up the night. Well, uh, they they started that new quote-unquote regional tour over in Taipei. Um, it was really just a, a string of events over four days that the top player qualified, and, and that was how uh, Chang made it over. And, you know, there were some of the players who were a little unhappy about that format, but the WPBA understands that this is where there's going to be an influx of great players, and they want those players to be able to qualify. I mean, you've got 
someone like Shin Mei Lu over in Asia who, let's face it, she can compete with the WPBA players right now. She could compete with them 10 years ago. Yeah. And it's just too hard for a player like that to qualify. In this economy, you can't do the, the Karen Core, the Allison Fisher, come over from England and play regional tour events all across the country for the right to play on tour. It, I understand that they did it, and sure, you can say, well, if they did it, then the players should have to do it now. But this is a different time that we're in right now, and it just doesn't make sense for players to have to try to do that if the WPBA is going to present the strongest product that they possibly can for their sponsors and for television. Yeah, well, I just hope that everything works out and sponsors come back because I would love to see Lou Shasha, our current women's world champion, 16 years old, and her buds uh, come over here and make an appearance because um, I'm, I'm going to tell you, those little girls can play. Well, I'm looking forward to it. Um, speaking of players who can play, and we didn't really mention it early on in the show, we've got two very special guests Indeed, our players of the year, um, Mika Eminen, uh, known seemingly known by tournament directors as Mika Eminen, <laughs> and um, Jasmine Ocean. And uh, we've got uh, Mika on the line here first. Uh, shall we uh, bring Mika in and have a little talk? Let's do it. And as we said, our player of the year, Mika Eminen. Mika, welcome to Run Out Radio. Hi, Jerry. How are you doing? Good. You had quite a year in 2009. Um, you won just about everything you played in. Uh, the two biggest, perhaps, are the uh, U.S. Open Nine Ball Championship, which you won for the second consecutive time, and the World Ten Ball Championship. Is one of those yeah, two but, events your, your highlight for the year? Yeah, of course. You know, uh, winning the U.S. Open again was, like, uh, unbelievable. I mean, it's such a hard tournament to win and just to uh, to be able to um, bring it back to back is, is uh, insane you know um, I, I was pretty ecstatic after that one uh, but it was you know it was just a uh, it was another uh, benchmark this year the past year and uh, I think every everything started from uh, Qatar which was another huge huge event so um, right. that kind of like, uh, now I was just on a, on the same uh, kind of high later on. I guess. Mika, I know that you take a lot of pride in viewing yourself as an athlete, which is a very different mentality than what the American pool player has had over the last two years. Do you think there is any way that a player who did not work so hard on being physically fit could have achieved what you did at the U.S. Open last year? having lost that early match to Bartram and then coming through the one-loss side with as many matches back-to-back-to-back to back to back like that? Uh, it's, it's hard to say because it, it not only uh, was physically draining, it was, you know, mentally everything goes hand-in-hand, hand, I guess. Uh, but, I mean, it, it did take some, like, uh, numerous comebacks. I was, I was down in so many games with a, by a wide margin, and I just had to, like, hang in there and uh you know doing doing all the physical exercise and everything it, it just it helps me hang in a situation like that you know and it really uh uh helps 
me keep the faith, you know. I, I know I'm, you know, playing good, so I just got to wait for another opportunity and try to uh, stay in the present moment. And like you say, it was much more than just physical ability, the mental drain that must have been there. It almost seemed as if you always had another gear if you had to dig down deep. Where does that sort of mental toughness come from? Yeah. I, I, don't, <laughs> I don't know. It, it, it was really uh, weird and awesome at the same time because uh, I, I managed to always, like, at the end of the match, just find some, like, weird gear where I would just close close and really strong in, in like any match. And it was just uh kind of a cool thing to uh discover, I guess, you know. Of course that can happen sporadically, but you know, this time it was like happening all the time. So uh that really uh gave me wings to uh do the whole whole event, you know, like I, I just when I was like maybe 16 players left, I felt like you know well I have a legitimate chance now to win because I'm in the I'm in the battle and uh, I've gone through the worst part which which was the one day where I had to play seven matches. What I'm curious about is now that you're at the top of the game, uh, you're at the top of your game, you're at the top of the game. Uh, how do you avoid complacency? I mean, do you ever have days where you wake up and say I don't need to go practice today because nobody can beat me anyway? Well, I think uh, I think I'm gonna avoid that pitfall because I've you know done mistakes like that in the, when I was younger, and I, I truly do enjoy playing, so that's not gonna that's not gonna be a problem. But the thing what I've decided is that um, you know with all the traveling and everything pretty hectic last year, I've decided to take like uh, this particular month off where I'm, I'm not. Like traveling anywhere. Uh huh. I'm just gonna take a month really easy. I'm I'm still gonna practice and I'm gonna, you know, get back in shape after the holidays, and then just be um, be energetic and and ready when the big tournaments come around. Okay. If I can follow up there with one more question. Um, sure. Have you ever given any thought to getting an American passport? Uh, the reason I ask is that you don't play in European tournaments, where I believe your current passport is, and uh, it makes it difficult uh, for you to get invitations to international events since you don't play un- in the countries where your passport resides. Yeah. Well, it it could be difficult, I guess, uh I'm, I'm assuming like this year might not be difficult because I'm ranked number one in the WPA and right, right, had a crazy year last year. So, but you know, somewhere down the line, it's uh, it's an option that I might look into. But uh, in the meantime, I'm content in you know keeping my uh, Finnish passport. I'm curious, since you were born in London, do you also have an English passport? Um, no, no, not anymore. I had an English passport when I was a kid. Okay. And I was uh I lived there 7 years, so uh I think technically I could still uh apply for it. I think if you've been if you've lived in UK more than 5 years and you had a passport, you can get it back, but since it's all European Union, it doesn't really make a difference. Yeah, right, right. Right. 
I'm curious. Uh, you have always been a danger to take down any tournament you were playing in. But obviously, over the past 18 months, you have really taken that up a notch. Are you doing something different in these past 18 months, or are you just on a hot streak? It doesn't seem that way. It seems like there is just something different going on, either in your game or in your mind. Is that the case? Well, I don't know. I guess uh, part of it's just maturing. You know, being able to uh, deal with setbacks in a, in a match and just like brushing them off and then starting starting off fresh, so you can you know you can get like a new gear like that in the game. But uh, I don't know. Other than that, I'm just uh, I'm doing the same things that I've been doing. Well, maybe another dimension that I've brought like the five six months that I've been doing yoga, which uh, I think that might have a little. Boy, I'm just going to go back to the thing about the older American pool players, and I just can't see them all in a room doing yoga. <laughs> yeah, no way. But, you know, like, uh, th there are, like, you know, some people think it's, oh, it's yoga, it's kind of, you know, gay, whatever. Uh, there there uh you know, reservations about that thing. But, but I know there's, like, guys that are in USC that are doing Bikram yoga right now because they know the benefits. And it's really crazy. So it's really good. So um, you know, if it if it can bring any any little edge to the game, I'm pretty much I'm ready to do it. So I mean, it could be something else. You know, I'm 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 open to like uh, mention. Amika, you've played in every different type of tournament, and you've played in lots of Moscone Cups. Um. And the Moscone Cup, to me, is the most exciting uh, pool tournament anywhere uh, for the viewers, for the fans. The fans sit in the stands and they stomp their feet and they sing songs and they cheer and they boo and they have a good time. And instead of sharking the players, it seems to excite the players and bring them to a higher level of play. Do you think that we need to work on, on having more exciting events that are TV-friendly and fan-friendly, or should we stick to the uh, quiet um, tournament format uh, where everybody sits on their hands and watches in silence? Uh, you've got a point there, because uh, Moscone definitely uh, has, has brought a, like a, maybe more and more people to the game that didn't, weren't viewing it in, in the same respect before so it's, it's definitely brought more attention and, and it, is, it is really exciting for anybody to watch I think and uh, definitely playing there is is uh, exhilarating it's a team event so that's why uh, people get more uh, involved because they feel that you know that part it's part of their continent you know so rooting mm -hmm. for a team is, is can be uh, collectively easier than uh, just uh, rooting for an individual and, um, but you know, something like—I mean, people should be encouraged to uh, maybe uh, get involved a little bit more, even in, in singles events. I think you know, there's nothing wrong with that, as long as it's not like you know, you do a stop shot and then clap. No, I don't yeah, think right. that's a good. I don't right. think that's a good idea. But you know, you just make a nice run on. People should be encouraged to show their appreciation, whatever. But. Uh, but uh, you know what? We we had the, another team event, uh, the World Team 
up in Germany just recently, and that seemed like a pretty uh, good format. That's something <clears throat> I see some growth there, and I see uh, you know it was a very well organized event. Uh, you know, definitely uh, looking forward to go back next year. So that's a uh, that could be another event that you know grows, kind of like a the Davis Cup pool. You know, we have then would have the Ryder Cup pool, which is Moscone, and then we'll have the Davis Cup, which is the, the world team. So people get more involved when it's, you know, their country, countrymen on the line. Yeah, well, we we did hear a lot of good things about that event in Germany. Uh, Amika, we've got to wrap it up, but we do want to congratulate you on your uh, 2009 and being named Player of the Year. We would like to wish you a very beneficial 2010, and uh, we hope we get to talk to you again in the near future. Yeah, all right. Thanks. Uh, Mike, I didn't say hi to you. So, hi, Mike. And uh, Mike and Jerry, uh, thanks for your uh, interest, and I will, I will be seeing you down the road somewhere. Very good, Mike. See you later. All right. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye-bye. Well, you know, we got to look for Mika to have another hot year. He's had uh, two pretty hot years, really a hot decade, and he seems to be getting better with every tournament, so... We may well indeed be talking to him again next year. Someone else we may also be talking again next to next year is our next guest, our female player of the year, Jasmine Ocean. Jazz, how you doing? I'm good. How are you? <laughs> good. Um, well, it's great to hear your voice again. As much as you travel, it's hard to find you. That is true. That is true. I have a packed schedule all the time. So uh, I'm finally home now for a little while to prepare for the new season. Uh, so I'm really enjoying my time at home. But soon I'm going to be, you know, mostly on the plane again and, and in hotel rooms. What is your next event? Uh, the next event is uh, beginning of March in Taiwan at uh, the Amway Cup, which is a pretty huge tournament and also a world-ranking tournament. So, uh you know, an important start for this season. And then it goes right to San Diego to the WPBA event. And then after that, right to the European Championships in Croatia. So it's going to be a packed march for me. Jasmine, we've talked in the past about how you kind of came on, came onto the scene huge and everybody expected that, that you were going to be the next big thing, which, which I tend to agree with. Do you think, with your performance last year, you know, winning the last couple events, do you think you're finally coming into your game and and playing at the level that you're expecting? Uh, I definitely think so, yeah. I mean, it was in 2006 when I won the BCA Open in Vegas. That was like the big start for me in my career. But everybody knows it's hard to keep up the level after winning such a huge event. And then the whole world is kind of looking at you and, and just waiting for you to win an event again. And it took a while for me to actually find my rhythm and to really, you know, play what I'm able to. And, um it was uh, it was a good 2008, but in 2009, I think I really found my rhythm, especially in, at the tournaments in America, because I think the tournaments in Asia, they could have been better. I mean, I'm always in the top five, but um, it's definitely one of my big goals this year. But in America, I played really well. My preparations worked out just perfect, and uh, I just think I finally found my game and my rhythm and adjusted pretty well to all the tournaments. So, yeah, I think it's finally paying off. Is it tough for you to to know that you played that well at the end of the year and then you had to take this time off? Um, 
No, I mean, it's been a really long year. And I, especially at the World Championship, that which was at the end of 2009, I was I was out of energy. I mean, it shouldn't it shouldn't be an excuse. I mean, I just didn't perform that well. And I, I could just tell that the season has been really long for me. So I was actually looking forward to a little break. And uh, it was great for me to win the last uh, WPBA Tour Championships in Florida. So it was a really good ending. And when I got the message that I was player of the year, I just, uh, I felt really honored. I mean, it's just like, this is a huge thing and it was just the best ending. So I could really enjoy my time off and prepare for the next season. And I think that's really important to get some time off so I can get some energy back. Uh, otherwise, I think I would not be able to keep, compete on that high level if I don't get a little break in between. So when you're taking this uh, two, three-month break here at the beginning of the year, are you are you still working on on your game? Are you taking time completely away to try to clear your mind? Uh, right after the season, I take time off completely. Like I really put my cue in the corner of the room, and then I'll I'm not. I'm not playing for like a couple of weeks and it's actually my trainer Michael he also tells me that he really tells me okay you are not allowed to play basically you just really take some time off and do stuff you know where you can relax I just hang out a lot with my friends and family and then like after like a month I start practicing again with Mike and really talking about the past season talking about the experiences and what we have learned and what we can do better in the next season what our main focus is on which tournaments we're going to play and then everything starts again so then i really have like one to two months of really concentrated preparation for the season and i i like that a lot i don't i don't want to go on playing all the time i just need that time to really prepare myself for all the traveling all the tournaments how has your training regimen changed. I'm wondering how you evolve your training regimen. What are you doing now, for instance, when you're training and practicing that you weren't doing three or four years ago? Um, I don't think my training is so much different. I mean, all the, it always depends on the past tournament I played, you know, because uh, Mike is always there, so he makes notes, of course, of my performance, and then uh, that... And that, and then we're gonna we, we talk about it, and we make sure that the, the training sessions are based on the experience we have we make at tournaments. So it always it always depends how I play. But basically, I always I always work on my basics always uh, throughout the whole year because you just need to keep it up. I mean, it's it's there's there are so many things that you have to work on, and the basics are just really important. And then it always depends on what kind of stage I am in the season. If I know I'm going to go to a nine ball tournament, and I especially practice nine ball and, and certain situations and stuff like that, so it always depends on the time. But it's I don't think it's that much different. It just uh, I think it's the experience that makes the trainings a little different than before. Um, and I just uh, yeah I just found some stuff that works for me now during during my training that I haven't had before. So I think it's all about experience. When we think of the great players. On the ladies' side of the game, we, of course, have to think of Jean Belukas and Allison Fisher. Both of those ladies had the luxury that the players that they were playing with didn't immediately rise up and meet their talent level, so they had some time to really sit at the top by themselves. I don't think your generation is going to have that luxury because I look behind you and I see great young players coming up like Lu Shasha and others from China and Taipei. Are you beginning to hear their footsteps, or are you confident of being able to uh, maintain a distance? Uh, well, I think it's I, 
you're right. I mean, there are so many good players right now, especially when you go to Asia and, and like at the last World Championship. I mean, I was so surprised. There were so many players I have never seen in my life, and they were like playing just awesome. And especially like the World Champion, she's like what 16 years old, and uh, she just rocked. So it was. I think it's. I do. I do believe that I'm good enough to keep it to keep it up and to to you know, keep on winning and just compete with these uh, players. And I think it's important that there are so many good ones because that just makes me more motivated and gives me a reason to practice and to keep on working on my skills and on my performance. And, um, you know, I just I just like the competition and I like to be challenged and they definitely challenge all the other players of Europe or America. So um, I think it's important that we have so many good players because that will that will make the level go higher and higher. I think for a long time in the women's pool, there were all just young stars missing. And that's why the level cut, got kind of stuck. So I just hope that these players will play more internationally and that will just rise the level and uh, that will make, you know, me maybe compete even better too. So I think that's, I think it's really important for the sport. I like it. I don't have a problem at all with it. I don't. I don't care how good the, pre- the the opponents are. I'm just gonna focus on my performance, and I think I'm gonna be good enough to beat them. Well, Jasmine, one of the advantages that you've had over a number of the other players seems to be uh, Michael Newman. Uh, the fact that you have a coach that is dedicated to your game and is always there at the tournaments and is always there to help you. Well, now I understand that you and Mike are going to open a, a pool school, if you will, and, and help train the younger players. Um, can you give us some details on that? When does it start? How does it work? Um, yeah, I've, I've always been, I always see myself as a really lucky person because I have always worked with Mike. He's my trainer, coach, and manager now. So we've been working together for like 18 years now. So he knows me really well. And uh, I think that was one of the big things why I've gotten so successful. And, um, of course, we're now trying to, you know, give trainings, uh, work with other people, especially young stars who are on the way to be a big pool player once. We're trying to, you know, tell them what we have learned over the years to show them our experience and uh, what we think is important in the game. And uh, it also, I like that a lot to teach other uh, people because it, it uh, helps me to find out a lot more about my game too. It's just, uh, you know, I can, I, I still need to learn a lot of stuff and, and working with these kids or even grown-ups just helps me to understand a lot more about, about pool. So I don't know, I don't know if you can call it a pool school yet. I hope it will be in the future, but now we're definitely giving out trainings and trying to, yeah, just work with other people and uh, show them how to do things right in the pool business. And how could a young up-and-coming player find more information about this? Uh, well, definitely uh, over my homepage, which is, uh, there are still a, like an old homepage version on uh, online now, but soon there's going to be a totally new homepage, which I'm really excited about. Uh, it's still going to be uh, jasmine-ocean.com, so it's going to be the same uh, website, but just uh, like a totally new style. And there you're going to find all the information about it. You can get in contact with us and then we can talk about further information. Or if we, you know, if someone wants a training, just get in contact with us and we'll figure it out from there. You know, I'm curious. You talk about uh, you and Michael being together for 18 years as, as him being your instructor. 
Now, he doesn't have any other players that he that he kind of watches over, does he? No, not as far as I know. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's he's always been working with me. I just I think it's very interesting in the states the mentality would be I've come across a young player that plays pretty well. I'm pretty sure I can make a buck by taking this kid on the road and and gambling with him. It's it's refreshing to see to see it work the way it does with you and Michael, where, I mean, could you maybe tell us a little bit about how that worked in the beginning, you know, how he came across you and, and that whole, uh, you know, uh, pupil-instructor relationship started? Yeah, uh, well, we st- it started when I, I, I started playing pool. I was like, I was six years old, and I remember my dad asked Mike, because he was, Mike was also playing in the club. He asked Mike to just give me a few drills so I can, you know, work on some stuff. And then he gave me a few drills, and then, I don't know, for some reason, I think he saw my talent, and he saw how much passion I have for the sport, and he was really passionate about it about pool too so he just liked working with me and then we just from there all of a sudden it started we just uh, kept working together and uh, at one point he really made a decision that he stopped playing pool himself but to to just become a a trainer and just to travel with me and be there for me and just uh, help me uh, get better in the sport and um it was always it was always amazing because it's so comforting when you know there's someone out there who's there for you, who supports you, who stands behind you no matter what no matter what happens. And um it just gives me a really good feeling and he knows me so well. He knows he doesn't even have to look at the shot even when he just hears the shot, he can tell if if that was a good shot or not, if my stroke was okay or not. So it's just uh, it becomes this really close uh, relationship and um and I can just trust him. And um, I think that this is, I think this is the key to the success. Uh, when you look at other sports, having a trainer, coach, that's just normal. In the pool business, it's not normal. Um, so I think we have started something new here. And I can definitely say that this is one of, uh, this is really a really important thing that helped me a lot. And I'm sure it, it can help a lot of other people too. It takes off a lot of pressure from your shoulders because he always does, he also does a lot of other stuff like the media, the press work. So I can really focus on the sport. We're just a good team. We have, I have my area that I have to work on. He has your, he has his area and together we are just, we're just, uh, yeah, we're just going for our goals and um, it's, it's been really successful so far and I hope we can, you know, achieve a lot more in the future together. Well, I, I understand that, I mean, we all know that you're not the only pool player in the uh, family. Is Albin still playing? And if so, uh, how's he doing out there? Uh, my brother Albin is still playing. Um, he is, but he's not quite sure about if he's going to be a professional pool player or not yet. I think he still has to make a decision about that. But he's still playing, and uh, we also went together to the World Team Championship in Germany. Uh, we didn't play that well, but <laughs> but uh, uh, yeah, he's still he's still in the game. He still loves it, but um, I'm not sure is he, if he's going to be a professional pool player. Honestly, I think you have to ask that. Um, to ask that question, Albin, because he might know something about that. But um, yeah, I think we have always been a pool builder family, so we're definitely uh, talented in that sport. Playing well or not, you know that that aside. What's it like representing your country with your brother alongside you? It's a good feeling. It, it is really a good feeling because when we grow up, 
when we grew up, we were always kind of opponents, of course. Uh, I was his, I'm his big sister, so of course he never listened to me. Uh, we, we hardly ever played together because there was just, uh, when we were little, there was just too much tension. I was always the one in the, you know, in a set that got most of the attention. I was the uh, rising pool star, and he was kind of in my shadow. Um, uh, so it was always hard when we were young, but now since we're grown up, uh, we're really okay with everything. We, I don't see him as an opponent anymore. And uh, going to to a world championship to represent Austria together with him is is a good feeling. And and uh, he is a good pool player. He is talented, and um, I hope he can make more out of it in the future. Well, I think that would be great. It'd be it'd be nice to see you know both members of the family. I won't say dominate the game because. As we've discussed before, I think it's difficult for any player to come forward and dominate the game right now, but it would be great to see the both of you at the top of your games. Uh, And I do want to, once again, congratulate you on a wonderful year last year, and we hope to see much more success from you this year. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, I hope so too. I'm definitely going to focus a lot more on the Asian tournament, so I hope I can maybe get the Player of the Year award next year as well. I'm going to do my best, for sure. Well, we'll we'll pencil you in for same time next year. That's good. That sounds good. (laughs) All right. Thanks, Jasmine. Thank you very much. Well, Jasmine seems to be doing well as always. I hope that uh, she has a great deal of luck with her uh, new training school. Um, That's got to be a pretty exciting time for her. I mean, obviously the training that Michael's put her through has paid off, so it should pay off for others as well. But... uh, Really, I think that's just about our show for the week. Um, once again, would like to thank the sponsors. Uh, without them, it's not possible for us to be here. That, of course, is Simonis Cloth, uh, the Tap League, and Lucasi Hybrid Cues. Thanks, guys. We sure appreciate you making this possible. Uh, Mike, enjoy it, buddy. Real quick, before we sign off, um, I have a... I have a tease for everyone for the next episode. We are we do have a special guest lined up. This is someone who we have tried to get on the show multiple times, and for one reason or another, we're not able to. But I understand that we're actually going to make it happen this time. So I'm looking forward to that, and, and you guys will all find out who that is next time. All right, and I have a tease as well. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. Coming up in the, in a few short weeks... You'll be able to go to AZ Billiards and connect through a link that you find on AZ Billiards and go play video pool online for money. Well, something else I can lose at. Yeah, you can (laughs) cash (laughs) at video pool. It should be a lot of fun. We'll keep you posted as the weeks go on. Uh, But for now, Jerry Forsyth, Mike Howerton signing off. We'll see you next time. We've got something to talk about.